The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are dealing with serious addiction to opiates, heroin, or something else, you know what a toll it takes on your life and the lives of those you love and who love you. This is A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope. You'll hear from host Tim Ryan about his long journey from a winning life to losing nearly everything he had, including his 20-year-old son, all from addiction. Now, Tim has a purpose, to educate others about the devastating effects of addiction and how if you are one of the millions of people who have lives that have been affected, you can turn things around today. Now, here is Tim Ryan. Good morning, Tim Ryan, Man Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. A lot of things going on. I've got our guest, Derek Haran, back in here, my uh, partner in crime and recovery. Uh, met Derek about two and a half years ago. Been uh, Just came out of a treatment center and had struggled for a while. Just celebrated 11 months sober on uh the past Friday, he uh, works with Banyan Treatment Center as an outreach coordinator, as my right-hand man, also does a ton of volunteer work for a Man Recovery Foundation. How are we doing today, Derek? Good, man, good. How are you? I am blessed, I am blessed, but you know, I, I did a video yesterday on Facebook uh, talking about loss and, and find out Found out, unfortunately, uh, another good friend of ours, Spencer, passed away from an overdose the other evening. And, you know, those are some of the things I want to talk about. You know, I'm a guy that, you know, my first treatment center, I was 21. I didn't get sober until I was 44 years old and, and sentenced to the Illinois Department of Corrections. I had overdosed on heroin while driving, hit two cars, almost killed four people, was given a seven-year prison sentence. Did 13 and a half months in prison, but that's when I finally surrendered in that cell and said, I want to change. Uh, you've been to, you know, 16 detoxes, 10, 12, 14 treatment centers. Uh, we lose count after a while, but you're 22 years old, Derek. You know what? Coming up uh, on a year sober here, what was the catalyst for you at 22 to say, I'm done using, I'm, I want to be different? Well, you know, I, the first time I tried to get clean, I was 19 years old. And my thinking get, going into treatment at that age was, all right, I'm going to go in, you know, I'm going to get people off my back. I'm going to, you know, kind of kind of do the, do the treatment thing. I'm going to get out and I'm going to get a job and I'll be fine. I'll just continue to get high the way I want to. And nobody would really know because it went to treatment, so they'll think I'll be fixed. So this time coming around, man, is, you know, I like you said, I'd been through detox, treatment, whatever, and ultimately this time I, you know, I went to the depths as far as, you know, trying to kill myself. And, you know, fortunately for me, um, but unfortunately for me at that very moment, uh, the, you know, gun didn't go off when I tried to shoot myself. It jammed up, and... You know, that, that was enough for me to put my hands up and finally realize, you know, all right, may, maybe maybe there's some other way to this. Maybe there's another reason 
why I'm still alive, why this gun didn't go off, why I hadn't died every time I overdosed. So, you know, February 15th of last year, I finally said, you know, maybe I'll give it another shot and see what really happens when I actually try recovery. You know, and then I look at the ones, you know, unfortunately like Spencer, been to treatment, was doing great, ends up in a sober home, and this disease is so powerful, you know, for whatever reason, he, he thought he could use one more time, and, and that's when it usually gets you, especially when you're dealing with heroin, I mean, all bets are off. I, I used to say that, you know, the average daily users aren't usually the ones to pass away. It's the people coming out of treatment and sober homes coming out of jail or that had long-term recovery and, and chose to go back and use. But with the opiates out there today, the heroin is so pure, and then it's getting mixed with fentanyl and carfentanil, you are just playing Russian roulette. It is just a matter of time before you're going to uh, succumb to an overdose. Um, and there's no coming back. You know, I was one of the fortunate ones, but, you know, Spencer will be my 104th funeral I've attended in two years, a little over two years. I'm sick of burying people, but, you know, it's like I sit in bed at night going, what are we doing wrong? What could we be doing different? And what are your thoughts? Well, for me, you know, from personal experience, I know I wasn't, I wasn't ready to get clean until I was ready, you know, until... I had to put my hands up, and unfortunately, you know, people do have to die in order for others to live, like they say in the rooms. See, for me, you know, our friend Adam Silvers, who passed away, a um, few other key friends that have passed away in my life, you know, I constantly re remind myself, like, look, like, this is the reality of it. This is what happens, and unfortunately, you know, some people do die, but there are people who ultimately turn their lives around. I mean, like, for example, myself. I mean, not to, put my, not, not to put myself on a pedestal, but, you know, you never gave up helping me, and ultimately I came to where I am today. You know what I mean? And, like, for me, what the main factor of it was, man, is, like, every single factor in my life right now is about recovery. Like, I work at a treatment center. My girlfriend's in recovery. Uh, my father's going to treatment, which is crazy because I haven't talked to him in about, who knows, 10 years or so. Um, and, you know, every single factor in my life is just recovery. My friends, uh, you know, my family understands that I'm in a recovery, so they don't bring alcohol around me at family parties. It's, you know, it, it's just, it, I can't, I can't hang around the old people I used to because I'll ultimately end up to where I was. Well, what I realized too is I have nothing in common with the old people. I don't have any business going to hang out in a bar, hanging out with people that are smoking weed, doing coke, whatever. I don't have anything in common. I don't want to be around those people. Those people are toxic. They're negative. And I'm not talking about the normies. And a normie is someone that can go out and have social drinks or, you know, might even smoke weed socially but not have a substance abuse issue. I don't hang around people that are, that are struggling in and out of uh, recovery, you know. I hang out with the people in recovery that are truly sober, that are 4, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years sober. Those are the people I want to hang out with. And um, you need mentors in life. You need people to guide you and direct you. And if you're hanging out with a bunch of people newly in a sober home and uh, trying to support each other, that's fine and all. But you need to be getting out and getting into meetings and getting into recovery and and getting out of our comfort zone, but addicts are creatures of habit. We gravitate towards what we know, 
because we always want the easier, softer way. Yeah, absolutely. And like for me uh, personally, every time I would get into like a halfway house or something of this sort, uh, I would usually hang out with my roommates who all also had 30 days clean. But this time going down to treatment, man, is, you know, I, I did move out into an IOP sober home. But for me, I went to group. I went to work and I hung out with people who had long-term sobriety because I wanted what they had. I no longer wanted to keep repeating the same cycle that I was stuck in and keep, you know, getting high with my roommate or getting high with, you know, a female that I was seeing down in Florida, getting high with so-and-so. I wanted to be sober this time, so I was willing to go to any single length that it took for me to stay sober and maintain sobriety. And that's what you got to be willing to do. And getting sober doesn't suck, but... It takes some work. Change is not easy. And whether you've been using drugs for, you know, two weeks, six months, six years, 16 years, 30 years, um, I continuously am am putting action in place. Um, I can talk all I want, but I have to put forth the action. I have to put forth the legwork to want to change. And my life doesn't suck today. You know, I've got a a lot of things going on. I'm I'm in a custody dispute with my 16 month old daughter, and uh, you know my my former better half is in recovery and struggles with mental health issues. And you know the old Tim, I'd want to be vindictive in this man. I pray for. Her. I wish her the best. Um, and I got to stay in my lane and be true to myself and and be the best father I can to to my four children that are here. Nick's flying above. Um, the best son to my parents, the best employee uh, to my co-workers, and, and just be a good person, and that's not easy at times. No, I mean, you know, for me, I was the same, you know, I was the same way that you were, uh, you know, very, very aggressive. Uh, anytime I didn't get my way, I would bully my way into getting it, uh, because I've always been the larger kid, you know what I mean? I've always been a larger man to get what I want no matter what. Uh, but today it's like, you know, I realize that I can't be selfish. This, this entire program has taught me not to be a selfish person anymore. So, you know, anytime things don't go my way, I kind of, you know, give it up. I pray, I give it to, you know, my higher power, whatever that may be. And I just kind of accept things for what they are instead of, you know, trying to go after it and trying to get what I think I deserve. Realistically, I don't deserve anything. I came from, you know, sleeping on the street, sleeping in my car, sleeping on a park bench, eating out of dumpsters. Realistically, like, I should be happy for what I have right now, and I absolutely am. Yeah, that's a good one. And and happiness can only come from within. You know, you've got to work for it, but I always thought the materialistic stuff would make me happy. Uh, Having a nice boat having a Harley Davidson, having a Jeep, having all these things. But I always use the analogy my buddy Brandon Novak uses, you know, at 2, 3 in the morning, I was with myself, by myself, alone to myself, crying to myself, saying, you know, I can't stop. And the hardest thing for us to do is put up our hand and ask for help. But when you do that, there's tons of people willing to help, but I'm going to take it deeper. Just because you meet someone in a... 12-step base or a Christian recovery-based program or refuge recovery or SMART or whatever you do, don't take everyone for face value. Um, There's some sick people in recovery, too. Uh, There's predators that want to 
feed on young girls, whatever. There's people that really haven't worked a program, but if you do your research, your homework, you see the people leading the meetings, chairing, the people that are truly smiling and happy, those are the people I gravitate towards. Yeah, man, they say stick with the winners uh, in the rooms. So for me, what that means is stick with the people who truly live this. You know, people who have sponsors that have sponsors that have sponsors. People who, you know, chair meetings, who lead meetings, who stay afterwards to help clean up, you know, come before to make coffee. Those are the type of people that I choose to hang out with. You know, I was, I was, in an, I was at a conference, uh, I believe, two weekends ago in Missouri. All young people. There's about 200 young people in recovery from, you know, all over. There was a guy from Texas who I heard speak who had 10 years clean. They're just all over the country. And it's it's honestly one of the greatest experiences I've ever seen, you know, because you see a group of young people who are getting clean, who are getting sober, and put on this event to where, you know, it's, it's all fun. You know, we get serious during the meetings. <coughs> Excuse me. And then afterwards, there's dances. There's... You know, people playing cards. There's there's so many things going on at these conferences that, you know, it's it's hard not to have fun. You know what I mean? And if you don't like what you're doing, you know, the, the people, you got to look. The people that go to meetings that want to pick apart and look at the differences, you're dead in the water. You need to look for the similarities, things you have in common. I'm not here to share war stories. So I used to do $500 worth of heroin a day, and why did this? And I don't give a shit. I could care less about your war stories. What I care about is how did you stop using? What have you done to turn your life around? Are you living a life of honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness? And are you doing the things to be a better person? That's what I care about. Um, and if you're not, I'll spin off from you. Um, there's people in recovery that still are very vindictive, very evil, very self-centered. They're driven by fear, um, and they don't know how to live life on life's terms. The old analogy, you sober up a horse thief, what do you have? You have a sober thief, a sober horse thief. And it's going to take that individual time uh, to learn how not to steal, how not to rob, how to get a job, how to pay bills, how to budget money. Those were things I didn't know how to do. Even though I made a lot of money, I, I never... Yeah, I still struggle with those things, man. I mean, especially money management. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably the worst at money management. But, you know, I'm slowly and slowly learning. You know, I, I've always known how to clean. I've always, you know, known how to do laundry. fact is, I never wanted to do it when I was getting high because I saw it as irrelevant. I saw it as getting in the way of me getting high. I saw, you know, everything uh, that came before getting high did go. I, it, it's not a matter of if it could, it did. Because, you know, for me, getting that next fix is all that mattered in my entire world. To where today, for me, you know, staying clean, being accountable, showing up when I'm supposed to show up is really what matters because that's the kind of stuff that keeps me sober. Accountability is probably one of the most important factors in my life today. Uh, accountability is what it's all about. You know, doing uh, is all about, it's it's about doing the next right thing. And for a lot of people, they always want something in return. And that's not what it's about. For me to, to help others and, and walk away, that's what it's all about. You know, 
What did I make my Twitter post today? My life is based on my actions and my attitude. My roadmap is a 12-step based program and my relationship with God. So simple. It is so simple, but I'm also the guy that complicated it for years. Um, Again, you're listening to Man in Recovery Radio. If you need help, go to our website. You can check us out. It's www.amirfisandfrank.org. You can email me at tryan, T-R-Y-A-N, at amirf.org. And if you have a loved one that you want to get into treatment, um, Banyan Treatment Center, www.banyantreatmentcenter.com. You can check us out. We have locations in Florida, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and outside of Chicago, Illinois. You know, we're just here to help. That's what it's all about. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. This is Tim Ryan with Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope. We'll be back after this short commercial. Talk to you in a few. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. Voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to a man in recovery radio from dope to hope featuring host tim ryan to reach tim by mail please use t ryan at amirf.org that's t ryan at amirf.org now back to a man in recovery radio back with uh, tim ryan here and Derek Haran, man in recovery radio taking people from dope to hope helping one addict at a time Um, If you want to call in, you're more than welcome to. It's 866-472-5791. Don't be afraid. Call up. Ask a question. Um, The silence of this epidemic, you know, so many families are having loved ones struggle, and they don't tell anyone. They don't talk about it. And One of the factors we need to shift is, you know, this is a progressive and chronic disease that will kill people, but we don't talk about it. You know, um, people think, hey, Derek, don't do drugs. You should have the willpower to quit. You're an athlete. You play football. You wrestle. You do water polo. Don't be stupid. It doesn't work that way, does it? No, absolutely not. I mean, I remember when I was back in high school and I was, you know, I was a pretty good wrestler. Uh, And for me... You know, protecting that image meant everything. So for me, I had to hide the fact that, you know, I drank and drugged every single day so that people wouldn't know. And I was very good at it. 
none of my friends, none of my family, nobody really knew I had a heroin problem until about, I would say, a year and a half ago until I finally came out and said it. See, for me, when I covered it, I, you know, I said I had a Xanax problem um, because the effects are somewhat similar. You're groggy, you're slow, you're, you know. Um, so that was an easy cover-up for me, but I finally had to come out and say it because I knew if I didn't, I probably would have died. And for me back then, you know, death really didn't sound like a fun time. I just know that I wanted to get high the way I wanted to, no matter what consequence. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And it's funny you bring that up. I was watching a pretty interesting thing on TV yesterday that, you know, they had two doctors on the panel. And, you know, the, the gentleman was asking them, you know, you know who do you think is responsible for this? And the doctor very blatantly said, you know, it's not just a doctor's fault. It's big pharma. It's the doctors. It's the nurses. It's, you know, psychiatrists. It's psychologists. It's treatment centers. It's addicts. Everybody plays a role in this epidemic, whether they like to see it or not. And that's the fact. And that's what people need to start doing is to start talking about it because nobody wants to talk about it. Because, you know, like let's say here in Naperville, oh, yeah, it's a really nice community except for the fact that, you know, we have a diet we have a dire heroin problem that's, you know, killing half of our younger generation, but nobody really wants to look at it because they're worried about their property values. They're worried about the town name. They're worried about this, that, and the third. What's more important, a person's life or a town's name? But unfortunately, you know, some people rather not look at it that way. Yeah, you know, people worry about the wrong shit. It's as simple as that. And who do we blame? I, I put a lot of the onus on Big Pharma. Um, they were instrumental in starting this opiate epidemic, but, you know, my buddy Michael DeLeon had shown me a magazine from Life or Time magazine from the 60s talking about doctors overprescribing. Doctors have been doing this for 50 years. Doctors are overworked, a majority are underpaid, um, and you see someone for five minutes and you write them a, a prescription, there's no follow-up, there's no care. Um, and it's, unfortunately, our society has turned into, we have a pill for everything. Uh, you can't sleep. Here's this pill. You got anxiety? Take this one. You got pain? Here's 50 different ones you can take. Uh, you don't like your dog? Here, you can take this one. Um, you chase squirrels? There's a pill for that. There's a friggin' pill for everything. Um, what happened to prayer, meditation, exercise? getting out of yourself, giving back. Now, I'm not saying, it's interesting. I was talking with a friend the other day, and he said, Tim, I'm 48 years old. When we grew up, you rarely heard about mental health issues. You didn't hear about it. Now everyone's got mental health. They're bipolar. They're this, they're that. Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid. There's a ton of holistic approaches that could be worked um, Banyan Treatment Center, you know, we offer biofeedback beds, uh, chiropractic, acupuncture, art therapy, yoga, um, mind, body, and soul being all sync in one is key, but when you're altering your mind with all these pills, your chance of getting into recovery is slim to none, but, you know, I, I'm actually heading to Michigan with Derek tomorrow, uh, we've got a couple events out there. I, I've got a big speaking event uh, Tuesday evening, but then on Wednesday, I'm going to be training 23, 24 police departments uh, in a Safe Passages initiative where opiate addicts can walk into the police station and ask for help. 
these are cutting edge programs. And, and when you're talking to law enforcement about not arresting the addicts, giving them an opportunity, this is huge. This is what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, like, speaking from personal experience, when I was out there getting high, when I was on a run, I would always run from police. I was afraid, <clears throat> oh, they're going to lock me up. They're going to do this, do that, do the third. But now, you know, police switching their train of thought is really key. You know, people that can walk into a uh, police station with drugs and turn them in and say, hey, I'm a heroin addict, I'm a, I'm a pill addict, I'm a this, that, and the third saying that I need help, that's, that's, that's crazy, but it's amazing at the same time because, you know, it's showing that people are actually out here trying to make a change, whether it being police officers, paramedics, et cetera, et cetera, and that's, that's what we need, man. We need everybody. To yeah, you know, Danny Langloss, a good friend of mine, the chief of police in Dixon, Illinois, we started that program a year and a half ago. I think upwards of 150 people have, have been put into treatment. Uh, Danny's actually the one who... who introduced me going out to Michigan. We have it here in Naperville, Illinois. We're kicking off three more uh, police departments in Will County the end of this month. These officers are, are sick and tired of, of showing up on overdoses and, and burying kids. You know, kids are dying here. Uh, adults are dying. Grandmothers, grandparents. And I, I just can't, what I can't wrap my head around is if 144 people a day nationwide, 50,000 a year, were dying from anything else. This country would be up in arms, um, and we're not doing anything about it. We're so many of us advocates, grassroots, are out here trying to be a big, loud voice. Um, but sometimes I just feel like we're not getting heard. It's. I feel like we are. We are to an extent. But people still have this bias on addicts. People still think, oh, you know, it's a homeless junkie in the on the corner in the city. When realistically, you know, it's 16, 17, 18-year-old kids still in high school doing this every day. And people don't even know about it because people are scared to come out and talk about it. Because there's this judgment, oh, you junkie, you low life, you're never going to amount to anything, blah, blah, blah. At least that was my personal experience, you know, because I remember um, – Back when I was in high school, there was a gentleman that everybody knew did heroin. And everybody had this bias on him. People were talking smack behind his back. And, you know, for me, I had I went up to him and I told him, like, look, man, like, I have this problem too, blah, blah, blah. You know, ultimately him and I started getting high together um, because that's what we do as addicts. We, you know, bundle up and we go on, you know, we get high together and we hang out together. But I know... For me, if I wasn't so terrified in high school to come out and tell people, like, look, like, I need help. I need, you know, I need to find a better way of life. Maybe it would have changed if it was caught at an earlier time. You know, and it's, I, I can think back. I, I was thinking of my last overdose, and I was at this couple's house in Aurora, Illinois. And, I mean, basically, they lived like rats, and all the money went to drugs. And I would just hang out there for days on end as I have a wife and four wonderful children. And I'd rather sit around and just shoot heroin and look for a vein and be excited when I got a vein and I got a good hit. And next thing I'm waking up in the hospital being told the police found me dead on the side of the road. And my good friends I was doing drugs with when I overdosed, they dragged me down two flights of stairs and dragged me two blocks down the road and left me for dead. 
that's what happens in the dope game. And I have a hard time wrapping my head around a little over four years ago, that was me. You know, that my world revolved around getting drugs, doing drugs, taking drugs, getting money, doing drugs, taking drugs. Everything that came out of my mouth was a lie. And I've, I've got a very good relationship with my former wife, Shannon, our three kids. I have another 16-month-old daughter, great career, great friendship. You know, and the cool thing about recovery is I'm, I'm the old Mr. Wrinkles. I'm 48 years old and, and Derek's 22 years old. But we're best friends. You know, I love this kid like a son, like a brother, and, and as a friend. And why? Because that's what recovery does. It brings people together that I wouldn't be rolling with this young Pollock, I'll promise you that, <laughs> unless he knew where the drugs were or he carried a gun and could protect me. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, man, is that people actually want me around today. I mean, for Christmas, I was invited to my aunt's house. I haven't, you know, I haven't been to a civil Christmas in about three or four years or so. Uh, I have a girlfriend that wants me in her life today. I have friends that want me in their life today. You know, I have people that actually enjoy my presence instead of fear it. Because every time I would come into somebody's life, I would, you know, I would use intimidation. I would bribe them. I would do this, that, and the third just so I can get my way out of them and then leave them for dead because that's what I did. I used, I cheated, I manipulated every single person in my life to get what I wanted. Yeah, we're pretty good at that. Yeah really good at it and and we don't have to live that way and if you're listening out there and you're struggling you don't have to live this way either but if you're a family member who has someone please 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 get into a therapist get into some type of support group um, if you're in the Chicago area we run groups um, there's Al-Anon, there's Naranon, there's Families Anonymous, there's Celebrate Recovery, there's 12-step based programs do something and don't be afraid to talk and speak your truth because the truth will set you free. Um, and the best thing my dad learned when I was in treatment was I didn't cause your disease, I can't cure it and I can't control it and I'm surely not going to contribute to it. Um, and unfortunately I see so many families enabling the addict and you baby an addict, you will bury an addict. That's that's the most important factor, at least it was for me, was you know the my mom getting help because she didn't know what to do. She was going crazy. You know, I had my mother convinced that she was a crazy one and I was normal, but I was shooting heroin every day and she was just worried about her dying son. That's that's what was insane for me. So when she started coming on the group, she made friends in the group with other parents. They have their own clique now which is kind of funny to me, but it is what it is. Um, and they bounce ideas off each other. They, they support each other. They help each other. I mean, I remember uh, every single time I would relapse, no matter what time of day it was, my mom would pick up the phone, call someone, and they would answer. Three o'clock in the morning was the last time I got caught getting high and got kicked out um, o o over 11 months ago. And, you know, Immediately, somebody answered the phone. What's wrong? What's going on? Blah, blah. And I hear my mom as I'm walking out the door, Derek got high again. And that was such a sinking feeling because I knew every single person in my life would find out within a matter of that phone call. And But that's, that's the kind of stuff that I needed, man, because if people didn't talk about it, if people didn't know, I would be able to do whatever I want, manipulate it whoever I want, and I'd keep going until I eventually either died or ended up in jail or, as I did, end up back in treatment. And you're one of the lucky ones. And 
<clears throat> let's take it to treatment. You know, unfortunately, so many people that send their loved one to treatment, A, they don't do their research. They just pick up the phone, call an 800 number. You know, do your research, do your due diligence, but treatment is not the, the end-all solution. Treatment is just the beginning for someone to get some clarity to work on underlining trauma, cognitive behavior, EMDR, whatever they need to do and offer, but ultimately it is up to the person struggling with addiction to choose their path of recovery or to go back and get high. And people always want to blame the treatment centers. You know, no, blame the disease of addiction. Blame the disease of addiction and all the facets, how it got started and What's hard for parents to hear is take a look at yourself. What kind of parents were you? Did you let this go on? Did your gut tell you something was happening and, and you didn't do anything? Um, people need to take ownership and not live in that shame, guilt, remorse and, and let it go and move forward. And why your loved one is in treatment, damn it, you better be getting yourself some help too. Um, like at our support groups, when I'll go into the family side, I had a mom eight months, a year ago, saying, you know, I need to know if my son's on step four. And I said, tell me what step four is. Well, I don't know it. I said, well, tell me any of the 12 steps. Why well, didn't she didn't know any of them. And I said, how can you sit here and be up your kid's backside on what step they're on when you don't even know what the 12 steps are? Take the time. Go get a big book. Um, go get an NA basic text. Read it so you understand what they're going through and you can start understanding this disease of addiction. There's tons, tons of phenomenal books out there. Uh, my dear friend uh, Sandy Swenson wrote a book called Joey's Song and it's about her journey um, with the son that's still in active addiction and she's had to move on with her life and how she does that and what she does but... Uh, you know, living sober, all this stuff. There's so much out there, but, you know, you got to put forth the effort. I'll, I'll see the parents that will be coming to our support groups, and then their kids will go to treatment, and they don't come around anymore. You know? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's just, that's what happens, man, is, you know, people people think, people have this bias about treatment that it's the end-all, be-all. I mean, speaking personally, you know, obviously, as people, if people don't know, um, I was actually a client at Banyan, and for me, you know, every single time I would get out and I would get high, I'd be like, oh, you know, it's Banyan's fault, it's this person's fault, that person's fault. Absolutely not. That's all my fault, and that's something that I really had to take a look at was what was wrong with me that I kept getting high? You know, was it the fact that, you know, I tried to shoot myself, you know, 12 months ago? Is it the fact that, you know, I was, you know, molested by one of my best friends when I was 10? Is it the fact that, you know, my father left when I was two. Uh, these are all factors that, you know, I kept blaming myself for. But the thing is, like, none of it was my fault. And I held on to these vicious resentments that kept dragging me back out. And it wasn't until I, like, looked at those very deeply and worked with a sponsor on them that I was able to accept them and move on and move forward. You know, these things happen to people. That's just the world that we live in. Uh, but drugs and alcohol was the way that I chose to cope with it because it made me feel okay, it made me feel normal, it made me feel comfortable with myself to the point to where I never wanted to break that feeling. And for me, that's what the disease aspect is of it, man, is that 
you know, nor like completely sober, I didn't feel normal. I felt normal when I was high, when I was drunk, when I was this, that, and the third. So for me, uh, getting sober meant learning learning how to deal and cope with life with a sober brain. And I'm grateful that today I can do that, man. You know, situations pop up in my life, but I know how to cope with them. I know I have to pick up the phone. I call people. I call my sponsor. I call my girlfriend. I call you. I call, you know, 10 other people in the program because I know that nobody will co-sign my bullshit. And that's what I need. You know, I'll be thinking crazy like, oh, yeah, I want to go, you know, mess this person up. I want to go, you know, do this, that, and third. And be like, no, stop being an idiot. You know what to do and you know what the next right thing is. So do it. And it's about hearing that over and over again until I finally like, all right, yeah, you're right. You know, it's I, I'm, I'm scrolling through my Facebook now, and I, I see a picture here, Derek, you know, a kid on life support. Jesus Christ. And, you know, the kid had to have open heart surgery due to infection from shooting up. 25% of his heart tissue, uh, tissue was infected. The surgeon who's been doing surgery for 30 years says he's never seen a more damaged heart. That's what addicts do. You know, we don't worry about death um, or we think we know everything and, and we know how to manage everything and we're not going to die and it doesn't work that way. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. This is Tim Ryan with the Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time with Derek Haran. Going to have a commercial break. We'll be back in a few to wrap up the show. As we age, our health can decline. For some, it's a slow, even process, while for others, it can happen at a much faster rate. The health decline can start in people as young as their 30s. Did you know a lot of age-related diseases can be prevented, reversed, or eliminated? It's true. You'll find out more every week on Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's your life. Keep it going well. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, From Dope to Hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. Tim Ryan, Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time with my uh, sidekick, Derek Horan. This disease of addiction, man, I'm, I'm telling you, it's uh, take away the, the money, the lying, the cheating, the stealing. How about the heart disease, the sepsis, the... Here's a kid up in Hawkman Estates that had an arm and both legs amputated from shooting up, and, and we keep doing it. It's, 
it's mind-blowing. I mean, I can remember when I'd shoot up in my hand and miss a vein, and my wife would be like, what happened? Oh, I got stung by another bee. She's like, you sure get stung by a lot of bees. And everything that came out of my mouth was a lie. And I couldn't wait to do it again. But you can break that cycle, but you got to understand, you know, you need detox. You need as long-term treatment as possible, and you need to get into sober living. But what I have a lot of people that we help through our foundation that have no insurance or have state insurance. And, oh, I don't want to just go to a three-week program. Well, unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. Be grateful you have state insurance and, and be grateful you can get in somewhere or go out and buy an insurance policy and so you can go get into a good treatment center. But there's a lot of addicts that can't take the time to even go up and sign up for state insurance. You know, they're not going to go down to the Department of Human Services office and, and fill out forms and call a waiting list every week, uh, Friday at 2 o'clock, to see if there's a bed. We're out using. You live for the moment. You live for the day. But the government, I think, has really got to shift things. We need to allocate monies to long-term tr treatment. But, you know, you take the state of Illinois, we're freaking broke. You know, it's... Uh, it's a bust here, but we've got some good places we work with out of state. But on the flip side, it takes money. You know, our foundation raises predominantly most of its funds through my speaking events, and I donate all the money to the foundation. I don't take a salary. I give it all away. And unfortunately, through death, when we've lost someone, memorial funds are donated. Uh, City of Naperville uh, gave us a couple grants. But outside of that, you know, people want you to do more. We need people to step up and help. I am only one person. I, I, I've got a full-time job with the treatment center. I run a foundation. I speak all over. I've got four kids. I've got a life, too, but people expect us to be on point 24-7. Yeah, we're only a team of realistically four people, four people that get calls from all over the country to get help. The fact is that, you know, we are only four people trying to cover 50 states. It's almost impossible. You know, there's, there's Matt Gammon in Boston. There's... Uh, Brandon, Brandon Novak in Philly. There's other people across. There's Michael Davidone <coughs> in Jersey. There's people all over the country that are doing this, um, but more people need to step up. Like I said, Matt Gannam can't cover Massachusetts by himself. Uh, Brandon Novak can't cover Philadelphia or Pennsylvania by himself. There are other people that have to step up to the plate, but the fact is nobody wants to do it. No, they don't want to do it or... Hell, I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't do this. And then people get mad at you. Oh, well, you get paid to work in the treatment space. Well, no shit. It's my full-time job. Yeah, that's 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 I, one of the main factors that really irritates I, me, I, I get a salary. I don't get a bonus. I don't get a commission. But I have every damn right to make a living. Um, do you tell the oncologist it's going to be doing cancer surgery? and making a shitload of money that uh, his staff and stuff, they work for a for-profit hospital? No, only in the treatment space. And why is that? Because you get a lot of these bleeding heart parents who unfortunately had a bad circumstance or, or lost a child and they want to blame, blame, instead of, instead of taking a look at themselves. And I'm not saying all parents were bad parents. Most aren't. But there's a lot of parents, and I was one, that contributed to my son's addiction, and I let it happen, and I let it go on. Hell, I ultimately used with my own son. Um, and then when I got out of prison, my former wife Shannon and I were truly the only ones trying to help our son. And then when he died, everyone wanted to blame me. 
bullshit. All of you took a part in this. Brothers-in-laws, sisters-in-laws, aunts, uncles. You knew he was struggling, and he didn't do anything. Oh, well, he wouldn't talk to us. We prayed for him. You know, prayers are great, but we need action. I, I totally believe in the power of prayer, but, uh, you know, you, you need to step up. You need some accountability. You need to get in and help and, and quit making excuses. I mean, I am so sick of people and their bullshit excuses. It's beyond belief. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things that, you know, is irritating me lately is that, you know, people are like, oh, you work for Banyan. Uh, it's a for-profit treatment center, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, in the last four months, maybe I've helped eight people get into Banyan. But let's talk about the 50-plus that I've helped get into South Carolina that our foundation pays for. Let's talk about the 50-plus that we've gotten into LSSI, Haymarket, Gateway, uh, Rosecrans. Let's talk about the people that, you know, do not come to Banyan, but yet we still go completely out of our way to help because that's the right thing to do. Except for the fact that nobody wants to look at what we actually do on a daily basis and the people that we help that we have no insurance, state insurance. Yeah, and, and that we're, we're not getting kudos for. I mean, there was a kid that came into town. Our foundation put him up in a hotel. Ashley picked him up, took him to court, got him on a bus, sent him home. We didn't get any. Nobody even knew about that. And that's okay, but that's what we do. Um, if more people would shut their mouths and start doing something, I had a mother at one of my support groups going, well, you've got to do this with Congress, and you've got to do this with legislation. I said, bullshit. You do it. Why do I have to do everything? Well, I don't know what to do. Guess what? Either do I, and I figure it out. Google is your friend. Pick up. Be a big, loud voice. Get out. Invite people, help people. There's so many things you can do, but sitting around pissing and moaning and bitching isn't going to do a damn thing. It just doesn't get you anywhere. I think one of the things that I really admire, man, is that this past summer, you know, my mom and a few other moms went to the stand-up rally in Washington, D.C., and that's the kind of things that need to happen, man, is that people need to take this to the Capitol in large amounts and show, like, look, these are the people that it affects. People think it's the, you know, minority on the corner. Bullshit. Fuck that. Excuse my language. But that that's what irritates me is that, you know, it's our everyday people that you see on the street. We know what, what is he, in the southwest suburbs? He's a high school teacher. Yeah. That shoots heroin every day. And people don't <clears throat> know. But the fact is, like, he's afraid to come out because of the judgment, the, the stigma that's against it. You know, it's, uh, it's baffling. <clears throat> but... There's people out there getting help. There's people out there getting sober. There's people that want to live. You've got to put more effort into wanting to live. But then you get the people, Derek, that are 30, 60, 90 days sober, and they think everything should be, everyone should be okay, and no one should be mad at them, or look at me, look at me, I'm sober. And? And what's your point? Good for you. You've got a lot of damage. You've got a lot of wreckage to clean up. It took me probably three and a half, four years for, for Shannon, my former better half, to really start trusting me and believing me that, that I'm doing the right things. And she's my biggest cheerleader. Uh, my kids are, are avid supporters of me. And we come together, but it's my actions that speak louder than my words. If your mouth's talking and you're an addict, everything that's coming out of it is a lie. If you're sober and talking about all these things you're doing your actions will show if you're working a program if you're helping out if you're giving back because you for me and derek we work a 12-step based program you got to give it away to keep it 
otherwise you're dead in the water. And, uh, you know, that's just a fact. Yeah, I mean, like, what our good friend Brad Norris likes to say, man, I've got three tongues, I've got two in my shoes, and I've I got one in my mouth. If those three don't match up, the rest is BS. It doesn't matter because if I'm not taking the steps and making the footwork to progress and get better, then realistically I'm not doing it all on doing anything at all and I'm working on getting high. Right. And, and you know, I look at my whole situation coming back from Florida, my, my girlfriend moved everything out, you know, went to court, filed an order of protection, you know, we'll get that dropped. But my old antics were, were do bad things. And, you know, I pray for her and, and I pray that she's spiritually broken right now and driven by fear. And it is what it is. It'll work out if I trust in God's will. And, and what are you trying to teach me today, Lord? What is my lesson? Um, and I need to learn from that lesson and never apply the same bad reasoning again, you know? Um, sting me once, that's okay. You do it twice, man, it's not going to happen again. And sometimes one of my defects is I, I lead with my heart too much. I give too many people too many chances, and they, they take my kindness for a weakness. But when I've been stung, believe me, it will not happen again. I can assure you that that will not happen. But on the flip side with the addicts, I, I had a guy call me that we sent out to uh, Salvation Oaks or the Owl's Nest in South Carolina. And this kid was friends with my son, Nick, that passed away. And he had showed up at one of my support groups, and I heard he is trying to sell Klonopin outside. So I kicked him out, and I told him he's welcome to come back, but don't do that. A year later, he reaches out for help. He's in a local detox, and he said, Tim, you know, I never had, was selling Klonopin. I was trying to impress the girls. And he said, I was afraid to call you, but I need help. And, and we assisted him getting out of state, and that's what we do. I, I won't turn addicts away but I'm not going to co-sign your bullshit either. Um, I won't keep chasing you into detox, into treatment center, into all these things. You know, we'll get you in, we'll do what we need to do, but if you, uh, you don't want to do it, that's up to you, and I wish you the best of luck, you know? Yeah, I mean, the la I remember the last time I was out there, uh, I received a phone call from you, and you were like, are you ready to go to treatment yet, or you want to keep doing what you're doing? And I said, absolutely not. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't want anything to do with it. And you're like, all right, call me back when you're done. I hope you don't die. And that resonated with me because that's a fact. That's what happens. If you keep going, eventually you will die or you will end up in jail. That's just, that's statistics. You know what I mean? Um, so I thought about that and, you know, I, I tried the dying route, as I said earlier, and that didn't work for me because I couldn't do anything right. Um, and, you know, I got clean. But that's that's the thing, man, is that nobody co-signed my bullshit. Nobody was going to help me out until I eventually got clean. And you wanted to help yourself, Derek. You yeah. had to help yourself. Yeah. You know, I'll guide you and direct you, but I'm going to lead a horse to water. If the dumb horse doesn't drink the water, that's on him. He can die, and I'll cut him up and eat him. That's, yeah. That's, that's I, I don't think I'd cut you up and eat you. I hope not. <laughs> but, you know, joking aside, you, you got to work for this, and... You know, if you're struggling out there, go to YouTube, uh, go to Google. You can research me, you know, Tim Ryan Hope Dealer, Tim Ryan Addict, A Man in Recovery Foundation, Banyan Treatment Center. There's resources out there. There's information. You just got to ask for the help. But 
don't be one of those parents that I just had a mother call me this week and while my son walked out of treatment, showed up at my front door and needed $10 to pay the guy that drove him, I gave him the money and he took off again. I said, you just gave money to go get high. Well, what do I do? I, I can't kick him out. I said, well, he, he's not going to change. Well, what do you mean? I said, if he can come to your house and walk out of treatment and, and have a nice warm bed and a hot shower and food and conceal from you and rob you, I wouldn't change either. There's no reason to change. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, I don't know what the specific answers are. What about you, Derek? I don't either. I mean, like you said, my, my mother kicking me out was probably one of the best things she's ever done because she was the biggest enabler for my entire teenage years. And she finally said, you know what, get out. You know, you're not going to die in my home. And that was one of the factors that helped me save my own life. Yeah. That's what I needed, man. But a lot of people don't want it. Oh, that's my baby, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but the fact is it's either your baby's going to die on the street or he's going to get clean or he's going to die in your house because that's just what it is. Yeah, it, it, it's a fact, but you don't have to live that way. Again, if you need help, check us out on the web, www.amirfisandfrank.org. You can check out Banyan Treatment Center, B-A-N-Y-A-N TreatmentCenter.com. You can check out Banyan, Massachusetts. You can check out Banyan, Chicago. And if we can't help you, we will guide you to the places that can based on your situation. You either have no insurance, you have state insurance, or you have good insurance. Um, we just want to get you in. We work and partner with a number of treatment centers, not only locally, but nationwide. Um, and we just want to help. But ultimately, we get you in. It's up to you then to do what needs to be done. Yeah, we can't save anybody, man. Is that we can we can help people. People look at us as lifesavers when realistically we're just drug addicts who have been there, done that, and know the ways to get out, and we're just here to help, man. That's all we're for. It's as simple as that. Um, there is hope. We take people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time, but they've got to put forth the effort. And, and if they're not willing, some people don't want to get sober. Some people aren't ready. And like I tell them, I wish you the best of luck. I hope you don't die. And when you're ready, pick up the phone and call me and, and we'll be there. Um, I'm excited to go out to Michigan tomorrow and, and speak out there. I'm excited to, to go meet with these police stations and, and educate them on working with an addict and, and what we do. But, uh, you know, there's hope out there. You don't have to be hopeless. This is Tim Ryan with a Man of Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope with my sidekick, Derek Horan. Again, one more time, our phone number is 844-611-4673, www.amirf.org, or you can check out BanyanTreatmentCenter.com. We're going to be signing off. We hope you have a blessed day. This is Tim Ryan with the Man of Recovery Radio. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This has been a Man in Recovery Radio from Dope to Hope. Please join Tim Ryan again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of our program. And remember, there is always a future, always hope.